Sometimes the level of specificity just needs to be very intensified. Sometimes it could be like, oh, customers want help figuring out how to travel or like they need inspiration for travel. But it's so generic, it's hard to figure out what to do. And so I think there's actually a ton of diligence required to get to a level of specificity around a customer need, well articulated, well understood, and the diligence to try all of the alternatives that a customer has. And so I talk a lot about the jobs to be done methodology with my team, just because I think it's a good framing for alternatives that a customer could choose over the solution that you're trying to build. Why do some companies succeed in driving growth while others fail? How do some individuals advance in their careers to lead teams that change industries? In the age of mobile, these are the stories of the companies shaping the way we interact with our world and the people who drive their growth. Welcome to How I Grew This Podcast. We are so thrilled to have Lisa Yokoyama with us today. Lisa is a seasoned professional with extensive experience in product development and management. With background in managing multi-million dollar HIV prevention grants for PSI and spending two years in the Peace Corps for growing vocational school, Lisa brings a unique perspective to her current role as head of product for Amex Digital Labs. We're so excited to learn about your growth journey here and welcome to the show, Lisa. Thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Mara. I'm super excited to be here. So let's start with learning a little bit about yourself. Tell us about you and your role at MX Digital Labs. What is MX Digital Lab and what is the purpose of the organization? Yes, great place to start. Well, Amex has a long history. It's been around since 1850. Amex Digital Labs was just founded in the last three years, and it's really meant to be the innovation arm of the company. That's not to say that innovation only happens within our team. Of course, it cannot. In order to evolve and continue to iterate for customers, it has to happen everywhere. But we're purposely coming together to think about what are the more medium-term adjacent opportunities that we should go after, create new products and services for our existing customers, and then think about how we could create solutions maybe to attract customers that don't currently have American Express cards. I might call our customers card members in certain instances. We talk a lot about membership at American Express. So we're thinking about problems to solve for customers. We're thinking about what are some emerging customer needs that may be newer? How can we apply new technology and trends to think about solutions in a different way? And of course, at the intersection of all of that, considering our business and how we want to come to market. So We look at payments, we look at commerce, we look at things like travel and lifestyle experiences, membership, servicing. So it's actually quite a diverse portfolio that we have. And the whole idea is how do we find customer problems to solve, go to market with a differentiated solution that's unique for American Express and test that out. And, you know, sometimes we'll pilot with big tech companies, sometimes we'll pilot with startups. We have a ventures organization that invests in companies. And so, Some of our portfolio companies will do pilots with, and in other cases, we'll pilot it ourselves and build it from scratch. Once we test things, we're seeing how's the market responding? What are customers saying? We might iterate on those pilots, but ultimately make a decision. Is this something that landed or didn't? If it didn't, we shut it down. If it did, we figure out how to grow it. And within labs, we recognize pretty early on that we couldn't just keep getting bigger as an organization because you lose a little bit kind of nimble scrappiness the bigger you grow. But instead, if we had products that the organization really liked 
was really invested in, we graduate them out to other teams. Those teams might have better connections with different customers, might have a sales force that can help it scale. And so we graduate those products out and they continue to grow under another team within the company. And then our team has freed up time to focus on what's next. And so that's what Labs is about. That's the kind of categories of things that we focus on. And that's more about our model that we use to figure out how to launch products and how to scale them. Nice. I love that. I'm a big Amex fan. I am a member since 2001. My first credit card actually was an Amex and I moved to the States and I went to college. And I will say all my friends know that the Amex lounge in SFO is my happy place. <laughs> I travel a lot. I like look forward to going to the lounge, even though because I hate traveling and it makes my travel so much better. So I think you guys have done such an amazing job you know, building the brand and the services and the membership beyond just being a credit card, which has been incredibly impressive. Well, that's great. Well, thank you for being a card member, number one. And we talk a lot about member sense, right? It's actually something that people share a lot proactively. And just this <laughs> no. idea about how can you elevate delightful experiences? And so how can you create something that maybe was a drag, you know, like waiting for your plane in certain ways and actually make that delightful, bring some of the lovely touch points of travel back to life. And so it's really great to hear that you're a card member and you love the experience. I'm sure you're happy the lounge is back open at SFO now. And it's so much nicer. Oh my God, it's really impressive. So, you know, it's really interesting to hear about the role of digital labs. But I'm curious about how you got to be in your role today. How did you become the VP and head of product for Amex Digital Labs? Tell us a bit about your journey there. Yeah, I came to American Express from business school. You know, as you mentioned in my bio, I started off in more nonprofit. My first semester at business school, when you have all of these companies doing intros and talking about why you should intern with them. I just had no exposure to that before. I had no exposure to the private sector. And so I had had a colleague or a friend at the time who had done the internship at American Express. They talked a lot about just how supportive the internship was, how accessible people were to help educate you about the company, about how the dedication to the customer was real. And I think that's ultimately what resonated with me the most, because I feel like that's the thread for my career, right? Which is I care about a customer. I care about solving problems for people. I care about making things easier in life. And so that to me felt like the way I was connecting my previous experience in nonprofit to what I was doing. Admittedly, very different missions, right? So American Express was appealing in that way. And I started off on an innovation team in 2008 when I came full time. That team was thinking about how do we drive online commerce? How do we experiment in mobile payments? That team ended up getting dissolved in the economic downturn in 2008, 2009. So I had to find a new job within the company. I found my way back to product probably in 2011. I built the first online checkout button for American Express. It was called Amex Express Checkout. We put it on merchant sites. It's this idea that you could enter in your Amex user ID and password and we would form fill your payment information because you might not want to type it in, but you may remember your user ID and password because at that point there was no face ID or biometric authentication. People still remembered their passwords. And so that's where I got my first taste, I would say, of product management. From there, I moved into mobile payments and there was a consortium of mobile network operators. It was T-Mobile, AT&T, Verizon. They all came together. They were trying to take a run at mobile payments where you could add your card to your phone and use it to tap to pay at contactless terminals. And I learned a ton. Like that didn't end up scaling, but that meant that I knew how to help us 
launch American Express cards in Apple Pay, in Android Pay, which is now Google Pay, in Samsung Pay. And being there early on with a very specific skill set and very specific set of experiences at a time when it was really moving in the industry made me like a very clear subject matter expert for the organization. And I had the chance to prove myself of being able to deliver things with really high stakes at scale globally for so many card members. And so I kind of organically then built up this practice of not just mobile payments, but also digital payments and peer-to-peer payments. And then about two years ago, this opportunity came up where the other person in product within Innovation Labs went to another team and I said, hey, I want to run the product team. And I think at that point had enough credibility, enough chops, enough experience, enough zero to one examples that they took a bet on me and I was able to move into not just a payments role, but also looking at servicing, looking at membership, looking at travel. And I think, you know, there are a couple moments in my career that feel really fundamental, which is at one point I had a boss who really helped explain what product meant, made me fall in love with the product discipline, thinking about how to solve customer problems, talking about jobs to be done, doing it in a really unique way. And I just love that intersection of solving customer pain points, thinking about how to get it done in like a design and technical way, and then also the business lens of it all. And I've just sort of decided this is what I want to do. Like I'm in product, I'm in it for the long haul. And it's also been really interesting to evolve the discipline at American Express over time because, you know, I remind people on my team, I was in business school when the iPhone launched, like the product discipline really has evolved over a pretty short period of time at scale. And for American Express, it was pretty new when I started. And so that has also been an interesting thing to be able to shape and mold and say, what does it mean to do product at American Express? Well, that's such a cool journey. And it's really interesting to see the evolution and the fact that you stayed for so long, I think is a testament to the culture at Amex. And I love that you talked about that. When you think about some of the projects you've done, part of Digital Labs, or even perhaps before Digital Labs, what are, you know, one or two projects you're proud of and you think our listeners could learn from? Sure. I've had a couple of opportunities to go from just an inkling of idea to a pilot to a full-scale launch. The one that really resonates for me is this product we have called Amex Send and Split. It's all about making our card members peer-to-peer experiences better and easier. A couple of years ago, it was like 2017, we started talking about peer-to-peer and it was already a huge category. And our card members weren't really interacting with American Express when it came to their peer-to-peer transactions because peer-to-peer platforms charge 3% if you want to use your credit card. And it felt like in that moment, it was already a critical part of commerce for our card members, a critical part of their overall money movement and financial lives. And we felt that over time, that would be a big gap for us if we didn't find ourselves a role in peer-to-peer for our card members. And so it wasn't about trying to replicate what existed. We weren't trying to create a new peer-to-peer network. It was more thinking, well, what are unique things that we could actually solve? And so the two things that we landed on were one, when you send money to someone, it might be a big chunk of money. It might be paying them back for a big trip or a big purchase. And you might not want that to come out of your bank account all at once. And so if we had the ability to send fee-free by using your Amex card, loading the send account that we created and then sending money to your friends via Venmo PayPal, because it was anchored on your American Express card, you have the option to pay it later. You could pay it when your bill was due, which maybe give you a month's worth of time to float. You could 
revolve it over time and pay it over time if you wanted to, if it was something big. So there's a little bit of financial flexibility that it started to introduce that we felt like was a pain point to solve. And then the second use case was making it easier to split. Card members love putting all of their transactions on American Express cards because they love the points, they love the miles, they love the service and the security that comes with it. I'm one of those people. <laughs> <laughs> right? Don't we all want to be the ones that get all the points so we can use those for great travel and other experiences? But it was kind of hard to split with friends, right? And these might seem like tiny things, but you go to a restaurant, you put down your card, you say, okay, people pay me back. And then you bring up your calculator app, you divide the total bill by four. If there's four of you, then you ask each one of them to pay you back. As they pay you back, you don't really recall who's paid you, who hasn't paid you. And then when they did pay you back, you had to move the money from the P2P balance to your bank account and then pay your bill. So with the split part of our experience, we've made that super seamless. You can go to the Amex app, you can choose that restaurant charge when everyone went out to dinner. You can choose from your contacts who you want to split it with. We do the math. You can change it if someone ordered more than another person. That sends a request through to Venmo or PayPal. And then as they pay you back, you can see who has and hasn't paid you back in our app. And then you can also decide to just get paid back directly to your card. So it's just cutting out a lot of those tiny steps that were adding friction to the process. And I think what I'm really proud of in that moment is, you know, we sort of identified a business challenge, but then really found customer pain points and things that we thought we could make easier and better. And it's one of those few products that customers spontaneously talk about on Twitter and Reddit. They're giving testimony and trying to convince other people to use Amex Send and Split, which to me is a real indicator that there's a lot of demand, that there's like a product market fit there for that just niche of an experience. And we've seen a lot of growth. It launched in 2020, between 2021, 2022, almost doubled in size across the amount of send volume, the number of split transactions. And then the team's really thoughtful about how to use customer interactions and feedback to inform the roadmap. So one of those examples is we saw people would go in and they'd split one transaction, then they'd split another transaction immediately thereafter. And it's like, if you took a trip with friends over a long weekend, maybe you had a lot of restaurant charges. Maybe you had a hotel charge. And you didn't want to split those things one at a time. You wanted to select them all at once and split them with the same group of people. And it's internally what we call bundled splits. But we launched that last year. Now 22% of our splits are bundled. So it's just a really wow. thoughtful experience, accessible in the Amex mobile app that people already have downloaded because they're viewing their transactions and managing their card simplifying key pain points that had existed. And I feel like we're just getting started. I think there's a lot more we can do and a lot more value we can bring to card members with sending split. But I'm proud of that one. That's awesome. I think that's such an interesting insight. I think sometimes when we think about building products, it's hard to actually find the pain points to focus on and to figure out which one is the thing to build where you were working on this project. How did you decide that this was the thing to focus on? And then once you launched it. How did you know that this was the right solution? I think that's something as I interview product leaders and even as we build product at branch is something that's a challenge. Yeah. I mean, part of it is we had to think about what were we not trying to do? Almost like inverse of the process that you're talking about. Are we trying to keep it contained within American Express? Like it's an American Express to American Express peer-to-peer solution. That felt probably too small because you know that not all of your friends have cards. Were we trying to recreate a network? You know, was it trying to be like recreating Venmo PayPal? That felt unnecessary given our objective. It was not to really own the platform. It was to figure out how to facilitate 
an easier experience using your American Express card. And then I think some diligence is you start really internal. You talk to people on the team. How do you do P2P? What do you use it for? And that starts to drill down. You see some of the friction in the process. You see some of the pain points in the process. You watch someone do a split transaction and see how many apps they have to pull up on their phone and how much time it takes them to actually do that. And that's where we started to distill out those two opportunities. We found those pretty early on through our experience, but I think we didn't exactly anticipate how people would use them. We found two very different cohorts. We found some people that send and we found some people that split. And that has been a really interesting observation as the product has been in market. I think we originally hypothesized that people would do both. But we just find that splitting is not always a need for people who are at a different life stage in some instances. Splitting is really utilized by people who have roommates, people who are going out with large groups, people who are going out together. Sending, we see a ton of like gifting via sending and other things that are happening. So that's some of the way that the data has educated us about how people are actually using it and how that differs from our hypothesis on how they might. Interesting. I like that a lot. How about the project? You, know, you talked about the project you're proud of that was very successful. How about something that you worked on that maybe didn't end up the way you thought it would? And maybe what are some learnings that our listeners can take from that? Sure. I mean, as I mentioned, we do a lot of pilots and some of those don't work out. One of the more memorable ones is probably this launch we had with Jawbone. I don't know if you remember Jawbone, but they created these really great Bluetooth speakers. I actually have their Bluetooth speakers still. They still work, which is actually incredible, you know, and I really like them. And they had also these fitness trackers, the up band. At that point, 2013, 2014, it was a really popular fitness tracker at that time. And so we pitched to their team, let's do an exclusive Amex payments contactless wearable. So we decided to go in that together. Jawbone was going to release the newest version of their wearable fitness tracker. It was going to have Amex contactless payments exclusively. And what that meant was, you know, once you had this band, you could link it to your American Express card and went to a merchant to pay in store. When they had NFC or contactless, you could just tap to pay with your wristband. And the hypothesis was, it's actually easier to pay with something on your body. It was very connected to this fitness story, which is like, I'm going out for a run, I don't need to bring anything else. I can just have this thing on my body and use it to tap to pay. So I think conviction and that having, you know, some usefulness for a customer. We launched, I think it was April 2015. But Jawbone was just in a different place from a business perspective. As we test things with startups, some of those startups don't succeed. And so Jawbone ended up basically closing down as a company. And so we didn't have the ability to scale that product in the way that we anticipated. And we had spent collectively a, you know, a decent amount of time on that. So that was disappointing for the team. I think what we took from it was one, our team in particular had never really worked in hardware. We had never thought about things like, how do you make an antenna so it's flexible enough to go around a wrist? And so when it's taken on and off, it's not cracking and it's bendable and it's pliable and yet strong enough that when you get close to that point of sale terminal, when you're checking out or buying your coffee, that there's enough power there for it to actually transmit the payment information over the NFC reader protocol. So we learned a lot about antennas. We learned a lot about supply chain, which is how do you take antennas for one place, get them to chips in another place. I mean, American Express, really the only physical product is the plastic card or the metal card. 
And our team had really never worked in those zones. So we learned so much about the actual manufacturing and supply chain logistics of creating this wearable band that we ended up doing a couple of experiments on our own. So in subsequent years, we created a souvenir contactless wearable payment bracelet at the U.S. Open. Amex is a big sponsor of the U.S. Open at Arthur Ashe Stadium in New York. And people like to come and collect the headsets that we have there so that people can hear the commentary about the matches. And so we thought this would also be a fun souvenir where they could also tap to pay using their card. We trialed something at a Vogue event in Australia that was a more premium leather band. And then it also went to inform the launch with Prada for our Centurion card members in 2021. So it was a lot of enterprise learnings, a lot of learnings for the teams that were working on it. And that ultimately helped inform other products that we tested and launched. And then I think there's something else, which is the people who are still at American Express who worked on that, we still talk about it. We still talk about the learnings we had. We still talk about the energy that it took to get it over the line, about all these moments in that project that felt like, how do we move forward from here? And we figured it out. And so it's one of those things that I feel like also just creates a lovely camaraderie across the team, because we know that we figured that out together. We did something hard and new together, and we know the fortitude that we collectively have to get things done, which makes us trust each other just on the next thing. And so that's probably the other thing I took out of that experience, and I feel like sustains a lot of the relationships I have with people who are still here as well. Wow, very cool. That's a really interesting project and I think very interesting learnings. Speaking of learnings, before business school, you were more in the nonprofit space, right? You worked for Peace Corps and for population services. What are some things you took from that part of your career that you brought to Amex in your product leader role today? Absolutely. I think about Peace Corps a lot. You know, I did that right after undergrad. I think, oh, if I was doing that now, I would just approach so much of that differently just because I've had more work experience. But one of the examples that stands out from Peace Corps is a story that I still tell my team today. I was in Haiti. You get paired up with a local community organization. So the role I ended up playing was mostly matching resources that they needed with people who could donate them. So we opened this vocational school. We helped get computers. I helped veterinarians get trained because a lot of people have farm animals that need to be taken care of. And one of the tools that one of the funders had shared was solar ovens. So the ability to use the sun to cook food and, you know, that being helpful so you didn't have to buy charcoal or use a different fuel method. And so I had a bunch of solar ovens at my house. I invited over some of the women in the community to do the solar cooking demonstration. So we're all sitting there together. I decided that I would cook rice. And so I put rice in the pot and it's cooking. And, you know, we open it up after the prescribed period of time and it's cooked. And so I said, okay, we should all taste it. And so we're doing the taste test and they're eating it and they're like, it's not good. And in Haitian Creole, it's lipagu, like it's not good, doesn't taste good. And in that moment, I just realized what I had done, which is, you know, I am half Japanese American. I had grown up eating rice made a certain way. It's short grain rice mixed with water. Like that's how my grandmother made the rice. That's how my mom made the rice because that's how my dad liked the rice. Like each culture has this type of way of making rice. And Haiti, it's not that. It's not just rice and water. It has other flavoring in it. And I had done so much wrong in that example, which is I hadn't asked anyone how to make rice in Haiti. I hadn't brought any of those women with me to buy the rice and the ingredients. We hadn't made it together. 
I don't know, there's so many lessons there in terms of like understanding your customer, right? The root of what your customer is all about, the fundamental thing, which is in Haiti, literally you eat rice every single day. Not only had I not been attuned to that as I consumed rice every day, but also as I did this demo, I didn't think to consult anyone. So there's so much there about not assuming you are the customer, not assuming your method or your way is the way that everyone does things, taking your time to get to know people's approach, what they do. I mean, I'm like, you know, making this a lesson versus what they were telling me in that moment. But I just feel like that story is so indicative of this kind of naivete that I had in my earlier days and just a really good lesson that honestly, I could still see myself in this courtyard with the sun, with those women, that memory solidified in my mind because of that lesson. That's such a good one. Like I can also see you the way you've told the story. And I've also made that mistake many times. And just hearing you talk about it is making me think about the times I could have been better about that. So it's a really very visual, powerful story. So thank you for sharing. So, you know, this is a great segue to the next question, which is, for those in our audience who are listening and are thinking about becoming leaders in growth, specifically with a focus on product, what are some lessons for people who are early in their careers, they want to move into product, they want to go into leadership, what are some things they can do? There are some product schools today, but most people don't actually go to school for product. So how they can learn? Yeah, I think that's so fascinating. Actually, I think it's so interesting as I talk to new grads that there are these sort of disciplines that are focused more on product management elements. Of course, when I went to undergrad, I mean, I was doing environmental studies and economics. And at that point, you're kind of learning your way into product to your point. I think the thing that I continue to talk about with my team, and this is just the type of product leader I am, is... You have to start with the customer at the core, which is probably obvious, but sometimes the level of specificity just needs to be very intensified. Sometimes it could be like, oh, customers want help figuring out how to travel or like they need inspiration for travel, but it's so generic, it's hard to figure out what to do. And so I think there's actually a ton of diligence required to get to a level of specificity around a customer need, well-articulated well understood, and the diligence to try all of the alternatives that a customer has. And so I talk a lot about the jobs to be done methodology with my team, just because I think it's a good framing for alternatives that a customer could choose over the solution that you're trying to build. And we sit through a lot of pitches within our team as the team comes up with new ideas. And primarily the feedback is the customer problem you're trying to solve is not specific enough. So I feel like there's so much about living in that problem. And again, going through all of the alternatives that a customer has. And then I feel like maybe this is specifically a challenge that we have, but just how to start, how to get out there, how to start to learn And being able to connect the pain point with the MVP that you're proposing in a very succinct way that has very specific KPIs. And I think sometimes just culturally, the way that we talk about things obscure that level of detail. We talk a lot about on my team, like I'm just not a PowerPoint person. I feel like PowerPoints can obscure specificity and don't let you get into really what you mean. And so those are my initial thoughts. I feel like everyone's approaching it in a different way. We have people on the team who are startup founders, who are engineers, who are liberal arts majors, who are creatives, and everyone's approaching their product work differently, which ultimately makes a very well-rounded team who's coming in with a diversity of thought. Everyone kind of like works on different zones based on their lived experience and their work experience. But 
to me, that's really critical. I also feel like people need to connect into the customer that they're trying to solve for. You need to be able to empathize with them and understand them and sit in their shoes. And so I feel like people are successful when they can really sit in that pocket of understanding. Awesome. Wow. I love that. How about the future? Now, what are some exciting trends you're excited about? Some projects, some new thing coming up at Amex that you're okay sharing? Industry trends that you're interested in exploring? Sure. I mean, I can highlight something that we just launched, which I find to be interesting, which is the Google virtual card number. So again, sometimes our partnerships are with big tech. And we've had a longstanding partnership with Google. We just launched the ability for customers to use a virtual card number when they're checking out in Chrome Autofill. Today, you can save your card with Chrome. You can use that very easily when you're checking out and you're buying something, but you still have to enter in your security code. And so if you opt in to use a virtual card instead, we'll dynamically fill that in for you. And then that also gives you the option to use a virtual card or a token instead of your actual card number. So I think it appeals to customers in two ways. One, some people don't want to share their actual card number when they're shopping online. So this solves for that. And then two, even though it seems small, if you haven't memorized your security code on your card, having to go get it, having to take it out of your wallet, how to take it out of the phone sleeve if it's on your device is just like kind of a drag. And so it solves that. Sometimes when we talk about product on our team, this is not a novel concept. We talk about the pain frequency threshold. How often does a customer have to solve this problem and how painful is it? And so that maybe is a small pain example, but a really high frequency example if you're shopping online a lot. And so that's a cool thing that we launched recently with Google. And obviously, there's so much traffic on Chrome that I'm excited to see how customers interact with that. How do you get a virtual card? I actually have no idea. Yes. So if you're on Chrome, if you have your American Express card saved, then you can go to a checkout page. And if you pay with that card, then it will prompt you, do you want to enroll in a virtual card number? And you should be able to get it then. If you have feedback about it, let me know. I will try it out. <laughs> I love that. I do have my numbers uh, memorized when I use Chrome for my Amex because yeah. it does ask me every time, but it's really interesting. I haven't noticed it yet, so I will check it out and let you know. Absolutely. I mean, I would say the other thing, you know, it's very topical. We have our chat solution that sits within the mobile app that sat on our team for a number of years and was effectively created by members of the team. And if you go into the MX mobile app, there's a little chat icon, it's like a little chat bubble. You can start to type and, and message us. And there's just so much underneath that with natural language processing, with automation happening behind the scenes and just trying to get better and better about how to automatically quickly answer card member questions in a way that has the right tone that customers expect from American Express. So that's a huge zone that we're continuing to look into and make sure we're evolving in the right way because American Express is really known for servicing this idea of having your back and making sure that people can reach us in a way to talk to us in a way that they want. But sometimes also people just want a quick answer. They don't always want to talk to someone on the phone. And so how can we do that in a way that it's quick, that's automated when it needs to be, when you get to a person when you want to, and have that be a really thoughtful, elegant conversation while behind the scenes, there's a ton happening with machine learning and AI. And so that is just something we've been talking about a lot over the past couple of weeks. 
Awesome. Very cool. I can't wait to try it. Post the chat and the virtual card. Please do. This was awesome. Great answers. We usually end with three more fun questions to get the audience to know you a little bit better. So this is our lightning round, if you're ready. I'm ready. Let's do it. Awesome. First question. If you had to delete all the apps on your phone and you could only keep one, what would you keep? I would keep the New York Times app. I went through this phase at the end of last year where I deleted all social media apps from my phone. I just was like, it's sucking energy from me in a way that I don't find energizing. And so now when I need a break, I go to the New York Times app. And I play like Wordle and I do the mini crossword. But I don't know. I don't know if it's totally replaced that level of distraction as something like Instagram used to. But I actually think it's really interesting what they've done as a product team. It's not just about translating words on a page, you know, the newspaper format into a digital container is like way more interactive. And I'm always just looking at it in ways that I find inspiring, which is how do they use photos? How do they use interactivity? How do they use motion as an engagement tool? So yeah, I kind of geek out on what they do to make the app more engaging too. I love it. I'm also a New York Times subscriber. Spelling bee is also my thing. I play that almost every day. (laughs) Okay, I got to get into that. To play some of the other games I was playing. How about an app? If there was an app that allowed you to talk to an animal or a type of animal, what would you choose? I have a daughter who's four and she's in that mode of discovering dinosaurs. And it's brought me back to this point of like thinking about how incredible it was to learn about dinosaurs and still be so awed by them. So I would choose a dinosaur. Obviously, that's like not just one animal. <laughs> I but love it. Wouldn't it be cool to talk to a dinosaur and figure out what was going on at that time? It would be cool. We'd need some interpretation to happen between the two of us, but I would love to hear what was on a dinosaur's mind. That's very original. We've never had, I think I've done like 70 something episodes, never had this answer before to this question. So very, very cool and original. Okay, last question. What's an unlikely app on your phone that maybe people who know you well would be slightly surprised? I have this app that I use kind of frequently that's called Think Dirty. It's about clean beauty and healthcare products. And so I was going through this zone when I was pregnant and when my daughter was younger, just trying to think about how to get some of the chemicals out of our household and out of our lives. And so you can scan products or you can search products and it will tell you the score from, I think, zero to 10. And it's color coded to say if it's clean or if it's not clean. And then you can decide if you want to buy it. So that's one of the ones that I use frequently enough to have it top of mind. And it feels like something that's also not part of my day to day. Wow, very cool. I want to try it out now. Thank you for suggesting it. Hopefully other listeners will do that as well. Lisa, this was amazing. Thank you so much for the time today, for the advice, for the insights. Really loved hearing from you and getting to know you better. Thank you so much. I loved chatting with you. I loved sharing some of my story and a little bit about what we do at Amex Digital Labs. Thanks again. Thank you so much for listening. If you like the show, please leave a review wherever you listen to this and share with someone trying to grow their career. Until next time, keep growing.